Beautiful day for a drive on the 401 at at least 120 kilometers an hour, don't you think? Whew. Put that top down, put that foot on the pedal, and go. Been thinking a lot about this. First off, I'm annoyed. I will support what the Ontario government is doing right now because we've got to fix things. We talked about that yesterday on the show. But I'd like a little bit more information. They're the opposite of transparent. They really are. I'm not asking for transparency. That's a joke. No government's going to be transparent. But wouldn't you like a little bit more info? I mean, think about when Buck of Beer came in. Immediately people went, Buck of Beer, this is amazing, wow! Oh, it's not going to work like I thought it was? Oh, okay, well, too late, I already celebrated. And then we've had other things come in where we've said, Oh, look at this! And you have your reaction, and then it's, Oh, okay, well, that's, that's not what I thought it was. I'm thinking license plates. And now we get this, hey, we're going to up the speed limit on the 400 series highways, it appears. And although there's really been no concrete, here's how it's going to work, we did have Transportation Minister Jeff Urich, who we all know as being an MPP from this area, saying that, well, 120 would be the speed limit that they'd look at. 120? But we have checked into this. There is some, there are, there's a, a road in Atlantic Canada that allows it. In BC, they have a divided highway where the speed limit is 120. And the idea seems to be drive at what you're comfortable driving. This would maybe take the people away who've been driving 100, which slows things down. So if we get a chance, we'll talk about that. But I just, I scratch my head and say, yeah, but then you just open it up to people saying, yeah, let's just drive 140. And I don't know the difference between a crash at 120 and a crash at 140. I don't imagine there's a great deal of difference. I don't want to crash at either of those speeds. Have you ever done the OPP go down the the little trolley track? Sometimes they will have it at Western Fair. Uh, sometimes they will have it at different other either shows or events, and it's it's a track, and you sit in kind of this little roller coaster car, and you go down the track, and I think you're going. I wish I knew whether it was eight miles or eight kilometers an hour. It's eight. Let's just say eight miles, and then it boom stops you, and you go whoa. That's what it feels like to crash at eight miles an hour. No thanks. I'd rather not do that today. So then they kind of crank it up and say, could you imagine what it is like to crash at a higher rate of speed? I don't think you're going to experience differences at 120 or 140. Both are far too fast to want to crash, let's face it. But in all of this, we got to figure out what the province is doing. What is in it for them? And they have been lousy at letting us know what's in it for them. You know, I, if you don't want to give all the details, you don't want to be perfectly transparent, fine. You're the government. You don't have to be. But at least explain what's in it or how it would work or, or give us an idea of how this is a big deal for you. Because I don't even get that just yet. Harold, what do you think of driving that fast on the 400 series highways? You up for it? Scared the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went down here. I've had two episodes. We went to, 
to Ottawa one time. We went through Toronto at 120 kilometers an hour, and there was, I looked in the, over the trunk, and if I'd have been sitting on the trunk, I could have reached out and took a big Peterbilt right behind me, tractor trailer, at 120. And I come back, and I said to different OPP, I said, how can they get through that at that speed? Well, that's the way they do her. And I just thought, we were on the inside lane, and I said to the driver, where are we going to go if somebody stops real quick? He says, up against that cement. And I looked around, and I thought, well, we're dead, because <laughs> where the hell are you going to go with a tractor trailer on your tail? Yeah, when when your choice is that, I, I can remember driving, and you bring up a great point, I can remember driving with an instructor as a young kid, and we were on a 400 series highway, and I got myself between two transports, one in front, one in behind. And he said, okay, take a good look at where you are. And I said, what do you mean? Like, we're, we're just east of where we stopped kind of thing? No, take a look at where you are. What's around you? Nothing. There's nothing on my left, nothing on my right. He said, no, you're missing the point. There's a tractor trailer in front of you and a tractor trailer behind you. And if anything goes wrong, you don't want to be the meat of the sandwich. Get out of here. Let's change lanes. And that's that's exactly how you have to look at it. So increasing the speed. I don't know. When Devin Peacock was talking this morning, filling in for Craig Needles on the Craig Needles yeah. show, he was talking to a few transport truck drivers, and maybe we'll be able to talk with some now, but they were saying, no, 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 they're, they're not in favor of it. And I always defer to transport truck drivers because they know what the roads look like on a day-to-day basis. They see everything, and if yeah. they don't like the idea, I don't think the rest of us should like it at all either. Harold, thanks for the call. I was going down to Kitchener one time, and I was in the inside lane. Doing 75 miles an hour. Okay. Some guy from the outside lane, he thinks he's going to show us all how to drive. He takes off over to the center, and in the front of us, all of a sudden, we're all stopped. And I'll tell you, I never jumped on the brakes so hard. Oh. My brother-in-law, he was sleeping. He woke up, and he says, that damn car was coming awful close. Man. Harold, you have a great afternoon. Yeah, same to you, Mike. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. And what do you think about this? We don't know enough about it, but just the gist and the idea of it. Well, personally, I've always thought that the main problem causing accidents on the 400 series highways is the mix of trucks and private cars. And until you can totally separate one from the other you're still going to have these awful accidents. So I'm not entirely sure that changing the speed is going to do anything. Yeah. Um, the, the other thought that comes to mind, which, of course, is never going to happen, prior to the 400 series set of roads, there was a way of getting to Toronto from London. You went through all the old towns and villages, but that route is still there. So you'd have to have King Solomon decide who would do it. <laughs> but I would like to see... One or other of those two sectors of the uh, driving population, either the trucks or the private cars, be told, all right, you are going to be doing 401. The other one of you, you're going to be doing the longer route. Yeah, you know How what? you separate it, I, I don't know. But um, why but hasn't or, that happened? That hasn't even been proposed, and I love that you proposed it now because that is something that you, you have people saying, I will not drive the 400 series highways because I don't exactly. want to be a car with the trucks. Exactly. And until you can separate those two things. Now, the other way, I suppose, is to actually have a closed lane for trucks, not not where you're side by side and you're almost touching them, but the actual barrier in between where the trucks are. Mm-hmm. That's the only other thing I can think of. But 
No, I have to admit, I, I won't go on 401 unless I absolutely have to. You're not alone, and thanks for the call. Thanks. I wonder what truck drivers, if, if you happen to be a truck driver and you want to weigh in on this, how would you feel about that? Could Because, again, I don't know how the road works on a day-to-day basis, and I'm not going to pretend to. You do. What if we did have a barrier for trucks, and we did have either one designated lane or this would take some construction – two designated lanes, and then maybe like you see in on some of the highways, you get that opportunity to pass every once in a while. If someone is too slow in front of you, you'll have that passing lane open up. Maybe we open up one of those. How would that work? 519-643-2222 as we get into driving faster on the 400 series highway, something that the Ontario government seems to want to let us do. Richard, are you going to do it? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Great. You? Are you enjoying this nice warm weather we're getting today? I am looking at it for the very first time. Well, that's good. I heard you make a statement, right, Mike, about BC highways. Well, I know the BC highways quite well. The only one that I could think that would allow 120 would be the Coquihalla. Am I correct? I have to look it up because that's all I I know right now is that there's one in the Maritimes and one out in British Columbia. It's a is the the Coquihalla. It isn't a divided highway all the way through, right? No, and, no it's not. At least it wasn't once. No, it's not. And in there's fact, a lot of a tow, mountain there. In fact, it's still a tow highway to this day. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Well, someday, right when you've got time, I'll give you the political history behind the Coquihalla. But anyways, having said that, Mike, I've been listening to a lot of people, and they've been comparing right the autobahn to the 401. Well, that is absolutely ridiculous. we got to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges. That's like me trying to compare the 401 to the Coquihalla. That would be absolutely ridiculous as well. I listened to Taz earlier, and I'm in uh, Taz's camp. Taz said, and he kept it simple, I don't trust people. Well, I don't trust people as well, Mike. Now, having said that, I would like to know, now that Staff Sergeant Dave Rector of the OPP, who was a wonderful spokesperson for the OPP, and it was wonderful when they, he was in charge of media relations. But anyways, he's retired now, and he's enjoying his retirement. I certainly hope you are out there, Dave. I used to always enjoy listening to your opinion. But my question is, who is the spokesperson for the OPP today? Who is in charge of their media relations now, Mike? Well, it breaks down depending on detachment. So there is a, a different sergeant that is kind of in, whether it's Norfolk or Western Region or London or outside London in Middlesex. So, yeah. Yeah, they, they break it down, and there's been a there's been a you know a, a number of them over the years since Sergeant Rector left. But there hasn't been somebody like Sergeant Rector who has really decided. You know what? Here's how I'm going to handle this. Well, you know why I'd like to hear from Sergeant Dave Rector today. Naturally, when he was a spokesperson, right for the OPP, he naturally right he had to watch what he, he said. But now, as a private citizen, no longer has to worry about his political career. No longer has to worry about. Uh, offending anybody or ruffling the wrong feathers, today he can come out and he can give us his opinion. Because I want to hear from people, Mike, who are professionals, right, in that field, the ones who are out on those highways every day in Ontario, the ones who are scraping up the bodies off those highways, they witness the carnage and the destruction every day. Those are the people, right, that I want to hear from. So Sergeant Dave Rector, right, 
If you're out there right now listening to me, you don't have to worry about offending anybody anymore. You've got no more political masters. You can tell us how you feel. I would write to listen to your opinion on it. But my personal opinion, Mike, like I said, I'm in Taz's camp. I don't trust people. I think we should leave it at the current speed uh, limit that it is at right now, Mike, until, unless, right, professionals, right, can prove me wrong. I'm always open-minded. Other than that, Mike, you have a wonderful day. You have a wonderful day too, Richard. 519-643-2222 handling speeds on the 400 series highways as we begin. I always felt for Sergeant Rector. You know why? Because he always had great messages. He always had little little tips like when you see snow, go slow. Little things like that. And yet he was the guy who had to see, I'm giving this message over and over and over and we still have people ignoring it. We still have people driving too fast for conditions. We still have people driving recklessly. We still have people driving distracted. And I just felt for him because he hung in there and he kept giving that message. And Richard's right. He deserves all the credit in the world for doing it. But after a while, I don't know how he just didn't throw up his hands in complete exasperation. We'll continue this conversation in a moment. If you're on hold, please stay on hold. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. I'm going to do some more investigating about BC because BC moved some speeds on divided highways remember to 120 kilometers an hour and if you go to at least portions of the roads that they increase the speeds on you go ahead four years so they did it in 2014 in 2018 they rolled them back they rolled them back by 10 kilometers an hour so they put it to 110 519-643-2222. Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We don't have all the details from the government. I wish we did. I wish when the government was making an announcement, they gave all the details and the motivation for it. You know, I don't think that's entirely being transparent, but it just here, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And I didn't feel that Transportation Minister Jeff Urich did a good job of that yesterday. I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I think he's presenting the information he's told to present. But that could have been done better. Later on the show, we're going to get a thought as to why that is never done better by this particular government. Happening about an hour from now, we'll talk with Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley. Let's continue our conversation right now on raising the speed limit to a an expected 120 kilometers an hour on the 100 or the 400 series highways. I think that's the way to look at it. Bill, thanks for hanging on. How do you feel about this? Hey, Mike, how's it going? Not too bad. I called in, but uh, I'm definitely on the side uh, of pro-raising the speed limit. Um, I'm a commercial driver. I'm up and down the uh, 400 series between uh, London and Sarnia, and up and down the 403, occasionally go up to Simcoe. In the last two months, I just looked at my odometer. I did that. It said 21,300 kilometers in the last few months. So uh, I'm up and down it a lot. Then you're the person Uh, we need to talk to. Oh, pardon? You're the person we need to talk to then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not a trucker, but I am a commercial vehicle, and I'm up and down the roads constantly. Um, one of the things I think it really is is the education of the private vehicles going up and down the roads that they they don't know how to properly communicate and and really be on the roads with the big trucks. Um, they, like 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 cutting in in between their 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 stopping cushion that they always have between each other. Like you see it on the 400 series all the time. You see 
cars squeeze in between just so that they could squeeze off to get off that 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 next exit or whatever and it's those moments that that cause the accidents uh the truckers get the blame for it a lot of the time because yeah maybe they're the ones that walk away unscathed but a lot of it is the uneducation but from the actual private drivers i think Okay, that's a very good point, because if yeah. you do not know where your exit is and you haven't prepared for that, you shouldn't be able to just pull across three lanes of traffic yeah. and get off. And some people do still attempt to do that. And the other thing I think we've got to remember is etiquette around trucks. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we have to Usually. drive properly around transport trucks. If, yep. if you cannot see their side view mirror, they can't see you. That's the way yep. a mirror works. And yep. I don't think yep. we spend enough time realizing just how close we are to those trucks. Yeah, and how dangerous it is being that close. Like watching people as they they linger as they're passing uh, in the left lane and they're passing by a truck and watching as people, the way it should really be is if you're the next in line to pass, you should be staying a little bit back out of his blind spot zone. As soon as the space between the truck and the next car up ahead is clear, then you go ahead and scoot through. You don't want to be sitting beside that truck lingering because you're going to have him scared uh, poop in his pants yeah. because he doesn't want to get in a crash either. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then my other point really is that I don't just do the 400 series. I do all the country uh, highways and and all that different stuff on our county roads. People don't respect the speed limits anywhere, any nowhere. Hmm. It, it just doesn't matter. So, I think bringing up the speed limit. It, the people who are going to go slow are going to go slow anyways. The people who are going to be going a buck forty were, are already going a buck forty. I think it's just really um, to help with with the trucks as well uh, to get them to their to where they got to go quicker, so that we can bring more money into our economy, um, get people places on time instead of having people stuck behind a, a, a truck that is forced to be speed limited at uh, I can't remember what it is here in Ontario. One hundred five like, now. Yeah, one hundred five. I think. To be forced to be stuck behind that, if you're a truck with a lighter load that has a uh, expedited load that you need to be somewhere on time, and, and that's especially like the one lady that called in before and said potentially actually separating the highway. Mm-hmm. If the if the trucks don't get two lanes for themselves, then you're slowing down the entire country. Uh, it it won't do good making it just one single enclosed lane for trucks. They need multiple lanes. Bill, great talking to you. Yeah, good talk to you, Mike. Have Take a good care. Day. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Bill, another Bill. How are things? Hi, how you doing? Listen, uh, Mike, uh, the posted uh, fines on the 401, as an example, start at 120. The reality is that the speed limit is 100. And as long as you're driving less than 120, I don't think anybody gets a ticket. And in the Toronto area, what our experience has been, if you're going 130 and going with the flow of traffic, you don't get a ticket. So before we get into all of this, noting that every problem we have is not because of the speed, it's because of the errors of the drivers. And I think what we should find out from the experts How many tickets have you issued on the 400 series for vehicles going between 100 and 120? And if it's zero, then making it 120 doesn't do anything except give you the chance then to go to maybe 130 because they can't police it. So I'm, I'm confused about what, what actually happens and what's being said and why we want to make it faster when we know that it's the human element that's the problem, not the vehicles. Well said. Bill, thanks for the call. Thanks.
<laughs> Great point. Kevin says 120 kilometers an hour should be the limit. The simple answer is enforcement. Start ticketing for tailgating, speeding, etc. Anything over 120, give them a ticket. And then he brings up, what about the speed cameras like they have all over Europe? A couple of tweets to get to at Stubbs980. TJ says, Ontario has the slowest speed limit in the civilized world. I drive in the States a lot to go see the Jays and Leafs for less. They have a speed limit of 70 miles per hour. That's 112 kilometers an hour. Truckers go 60 or 98. And the minimum speed limit is 55. And as TJ says, he feels that's more reasonable. Ron says, everyone does 120 plus now. Make it like in Europe. If you go one kilometer over, you get a ticket. I have driven in Europe where the speeds are 130 with no problems. We just had two bills on the phone. Let's close out with two bobs. Each of you will get 60 seconds to close this off. Bob, you got the first 60. Hey, Bob. Yeah, hello. What are your thoughts? If they raise the speed limit, it'll be the biggest mistake they make. And how come? How come? They don't need to drive any faster. What it will do, it'll cause more accidents. It, it decreases your, your fuel value. People can't drive faster than that. They don't look up the road far enough ahead to see what's going on. And you don't realize how fast you can get someplace when you're driving 140 or even a little faster. Well, you put the brakes on and you go down the road a lot further than you do at 100 clicks before you stop. They, they don't look up the road far enough to see danger. Yeah, no, we, we definitely need to, to have more accountability for driving if we're going to do that. Bob, have yourself a great afternoon. Bob, number two or other yeah. Bob, you can close it off. we got 60 seconds for you. All right, Mike. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I think the idea of engineering a barrier, I think we're capable of doing that if we really want to put our heads to and separate the trucks from the cars. We already got the existing highways, give a couple lanes, but we're going to have to update portions of the highway from London to Windsor. You know, we need at least three lanes. I think they're going to plan that in the next couple of years. Now, 401 highways, so I read, is the busiest in North America, if not the world, on volume of traffic per day. So people are already going 110, 120, right? We all know that. Let's not lie about it. You know, nobody's going less than 110 on average. I was in Croatia last year, and the speed limits there on their A1 highways, 65 main highways through the country, is 130. It takes a little time to get used to, but uh, 130 is pretty good. You're clipping along and get to where you want to get. Uh, secondary highways were like 110, and then some coastal roads where you don't want to go over in the mountains, <laughs> you'll end up in the Adriatic Sea. It's 100. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's 100 on those? Yeah, oh yeah, you, you wouldn't believe some of the people that passed me on this winding highway along the Adriatic. People on blind curves, I thought a couple guys were going to bite it, uh, the, and they all had European license plates, well, you know, residents of the country, so they know where the, the roads, but my God, some of them take a big risk. But you know what? I'm going 130, and I'm like, I'm getting used to it after a couple of days, right? But the highways there, Mike, all toll roads, and they are in immaculate condition. You feel so confident driving those roads anywhere through to that country, going 130. And um, but at the same time, I remember a couple of times clipping along 130, and I had guys in some fancy European supercars clipping by me. And I, I got, a, I'm telling you, they're going about 160 anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't I don't think that the human brain can deal with that all that well. Bob, we got to run for news. Thanks for the call. All right, take care. <laughs> 160 on a winding road when where you can head is the Adriatic Sea. <sighs> At least we don't have that to worry about in Ontario, right? Got a few other things to worry about. We're going to talk guns in about 10 minutes because they're looking at getting a ban through in California where if you have been convicted of drunk driving, you can't get a gun. 
We're going to talk with Andrew Somerset, who's the author of Arms, The Culture and Credo of the Gun. And he's a Londoner. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up, if you have been convicted of a crime, how about drunk driving? Should you be allowed to own a gun? Should it be that big a deal? What if you're convicted of jaywalking? Should you be allowed to own a gun? California, they're debating it. We've got a Londoner who is going to weigh in on it. He is the author of Arms, the Culture and Credo of the Gun. That's coming up in five minutes on London Live. Just want to catch up on some emails to close out our discussion on speed limits on the 400 series highways. Andy says, I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea of increasing the speed, but I share the concerns of people being able to handle it properly. It's that same old thing. Great idea until people get involved. That can hold true everywhere. This is a fantastic idea. Too bad people are going to get involved. Heather says, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. I travel on the 401 daily. I cover southwestern Ontario as a sales rep and have been on the highway for 33 years, clocking between 1,500 and 2,000 kilometers every week. Heather, you're the kind of person we need to speak to. She says, I do not want to see the speeds increased. Everyone is driving 120 already. If the government opts for the higher limit, leave it status quo and... Leave the signs as they are and just tell the OPP there is leeway to 120 without issuing a ticket. Most people in cars are already nervous drivers on the 401 at 100 kilometers an hour because they generally don't travel at that speed. Also, truck drivers cannot stop short at 100 kilometers an hour when cars cut in where they should not. And we had a couple of comments about that. My vote is no. Leave as is. 401 Southwestern Ontario is already referred to as Carnage Alley for a reason, sadly. Have a great day that's the nickname and rose says i think putting speed up to to 120 is too much drove to burlington on the weekend i do 120 on cruise couldn't believe how many cars passed me i kept thinking my speed must be wrong so you can bet 120 drivers will do 140 not me i'm good with 120 it just starts to seem too dangerous what the other danger is to look out for is the driver who does under 100. We don't really have a minimum. It's You have to be going 100 kilometers an hour. That's, that's the speed, and it's one way or the other. The U.S. does that, and I think TJ mentioned that, that you've got a minimum. Whether maybe that would be the better thing, I don't know. Do we put 100 and then a max of 120? And like everybody was suggesting, if you're going 120, you are ticketed. You get a ticket. There's a lot of things that have to happen here. The conditions of our roads aren't great. We've got construction that comes up everywhere. you got the person who's flying along, and then all of a sudden, whoa, I was ignoring the construction signs, thinking it was way ahead, and now it's there, and then everybody's squealing on their brakes. It's, uh, it's a difficult thing, but it does come down to people, and it comes down to another topic we've talked about with regard to driving. We need more tests. More tests. A member of my family is about to write his G1. When he gets his G2 and then gets his G, he's done till he's 80. That's wrong. I need a driver's test. We all do. Why? Because we're people. And we have a lot of shortfalls and a lot of bad habits. 
We need more of those tests. You want to bring in 120? Add in more tests. Make us pay for them. You can make money that way. I don't think you'd have too many people objecting to paying that money. I get tested every 15 years, 20 years for the right to drive. Because that's what it is. It's a right. We'll take a break. Up next, guns. We are going to talk with the author of Arms, the Culture and Credo of the Gun. Should be a fascinating conversation. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Owning a gun often seems very easy because of what is presented in the news, especially if we look at the United States. We have a gun licensing system in Canada. It looks out for people who would be considered violent, especially those who would be considered violent toward a partner, spouse, and then people with mental health issues. Now, we've got a bill that has been put forward in California, which is pretty interesting, because it aims to look beyond things like a record of violence or mental health issues. It looks at something as simple as convictions. So if you are convicted of an alcohol-related crime, it would say, yeah, no, no. Uh, That's not drunk driving necessarily. That's something like public intoxication. So how should we look at this? Well, let's let's get some perspective on this from someone who's done a lot of studying of gun ownership, gun culture. Andrew Somerset is the author of Arms, the Culture and Credo of the Gun, and lives right here in London. Andrew, great to have you with us. Hi. Andrew, when you look at what, first of all, exists in Canada in terms of our licensing system— how do you believe that is working? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Does it need improvement? Well, overall, I mean, the first thing that has to be said about Canada's system is that overall it actually works pretty well. Um, there are always some potential improvements that could be made. Uh, the critical problem really in Canada at the moment is that the system is not funded as well as it should be, so the police actually can't keep up with the mandate we've given them. Um, but the system itself is is fairly sound. Okay. If we are to look at the United States, there are a number of different rules and regulations state by state, but if we look at what California is thinking about doing right now, where they would extend beyond things like records of violence, they would extend beyond things like mental health issues, and would actually look at convictions like impaired driving or uh, public intoxication, what do you make of that? Well, it's, it's actually not a new idea. There's a, a, a well-known link between problem drinking and violence. You know, the, the joke is there's five stages of intoxication, which are jocose, verbose, bellicose, lacrimose, and comatose, and it's the bellicose that causes the concern. So there's a known link between alcohol and violence. And the idea behind California's law is if we can identify people who have a drinking habit um, because they've come into contact with the law over drinking, then maybe we can keep those people from having guns. Now, in terms of whether that is that is a good move, whether that is even a move that they could make happen, what do you see as being the challenges to doing something like that? Well, I think it, it's a good move, but there are some, some problems. 
what California is doing is they're saying if you have uh, two convictions over a three-year period of either uh, drinking and driving or uh, public intoxication, then that's what's going to get you denied. Um, and drinking and driving is pretty much a no-brainer here because uh, not only does a repeated pattern of drinking and driving convictions suggest you've got a drinking problem, but also drinking and driving is highly irresponsible, and we only want responsible people to have guns. Public intoxication is a little less clear because, I mean, the problem with t- uh treating public intoxication this way is that many people uh, are intoxicated in public from time to time. You know, if the Leafs get out of the first round of the playoffs, a lot of people will be intoxicated in public. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the effect of it is likely to be that the people who get charged with public intoxication, the people who are likely to be charged, are likely to be minorities, likely to be poorer, likely to be younger because of disproportionate policing. We're talking with Andrew Somerset, author of Arms, The Culture and Credo of the Gun, taking a look at the licensing system that exists in Canada, taking a look at something that is being proposed in a bill in California that Andrew has pointed out. It's not necessarily a new idea, but does present some challenges. You've talked about something before that is labeled as continuous eligibility screening and and a system that would come by way of continuous eligibility screening. What is that? Canada uh, today has uh, the system of continuous eligibility screening, which is uh, what it does is there is a police database of uh, contact with the police that is every firearms owner is screened against that database daily uh, to see if there's been contact associated with violence. Um, And if that's found, then the uh, information is forwarded to the chief firearms officer of that province so they can review whether this person's license needs to be revoked. So that system already exists. Um, And the police are kind of coy about what exactly is included when they do this screening. But we know it's screening violence. We know especially domestic violence. They're concerned about that. It's also they're screening drug offenses because drug offenses tend to be associated with uh, uh, gang activity. Um, but uh, we don't know that they're screening necessarily for drunk driving. Okay. And is it something that you think would be beneficial for us to know more about what that eligibility screening contained? Yeah, I think certainly. And uh, I I would think as well that uh, our current law doesn't place drunk driving into the category of things for which a license uh, can explicitly be refused. And it would be helpful to actually put it in there, which then gives the the police more flexibility to say, yes, we're taking this license away for this reason without facing a potential court challenge uh, after they do so. Would you like to see that included in Canada's licensing system, something along the lines of alcohol? Britain has done something pretty similar. Yeah, I think it would make sense. And, and the reason being that drunk driving is a known to be a particularly irresponsible thing to do. We think that people who have gun licenses ought to be responsible people. So it makes sense to actually screen for that. Well, Andrew, we really appreciate your thoughts on this. Right, thank you. Have a great day. Right, you too. Andrew Somerset, again, he's done all kinds of research. His book is called Arms, The Culture and Credo of the Gun. And... It's a great one to look through for that reason, because you've got a lot of well-thought-out information. So, see, this this kind of comes around to driver's license, hunting license, anything, boating license. 
If you have to apply to do something for the right to do something, if you have to prove that you are able to do something and then you are okayed, yes, this person is okay. They can own a boat and operate a boat. They can drive a car on roadways in this country. They can own a firearm. You should have to go through checks and balances. Same sort of thing that we were just talking about with driving. Why are we not tested again until we're 80? I want to test now. I want to make sure I'm driving okay. I'm pretty sure I've got some bad habits. For a while, I wasn't looking and doing the, the blind checks very well. I would get in the habit of just a uh, rearview mirror, and then once I kind of started to move over, and whoa, there's somebody there. And that'll teach you very quickly, yeah, yeah, you, you better, better avoid that bad habit. But having checks and balances, not a bad idea. Plus, would this not make it look better for gun owners? I mean, gun owners are not people to be feared. There are so many gun owners who are incredibly responsible with their firearms. They keep them locked away. They keep them clean. They do what they are supposed to do. They file their paperwork. Now, of course, the other side of that is a lot of the bad guys are not letting you know they have guns. But if you could find a way to say, yeah, you're not following the rules here, we are now just going to take away that gun. I mean, it's... It's done to some extent now, but if you had more power to do it, you wonder what that would add into the equation. Paul, how do you feel about what we're talking about? Mike, I think you're a nice guy and everything else, but i got to say, I thought was you going to be a driver, you get your insurance rates lowered because as you get to become more experienced driver, you're a better, slave, safer, you slow down a little bit more. Whether you forget to check in your side mirror, I don't think... You need to go back to school to learn to do that. That's just <laughs> come on, Mike. Like, yeah, but no, I think we, we like we want less government, don't we? Isn't that what we voted PC government? It's just like that boating license to take a CD on a lake. Have you ever done that boating license? It deals with shipping lanes in the St. Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, the, I'm sure it does. So you know what people are doing now? You know what people do? They pay someone. They pay people. I know all these young guys because they let CDs. They want to go away for the one weekend of the year, and they pay this girl they know forty bucks. She does it from online because I've done it. It's seven hours, and it takes all you got to get that seventy-five or seventy-eight percent. Wow. It's ridiculous. Wow. Sorry, have you ever done it? You should go. I've never done. I, w- I am going to look into it, Paul. Now, thanks to that, I Please still am. I'm still going to believe that we need to be tested a little bit more often as far as driving goes. You can't say that you are the same person at 16 all the way through to the time you're 80. No, but I make better decisions when I'm 40 and 50 when I'm driving. And then when I'm 70 and 80, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay. You know? <laughs> but now at this age, Mike, really? Come on, buddy. Paul, I'm going to look into the boating test. I can't wait. I'm not going to take it because I'm not. I don't have seven It'll hours to do that. It, it, it's, well, it's ten, ten subsections of everything that you've got to remember. Like, and then the, then you get to the final exam, right? The final test, and it's like, okay, if your son's 12 years old, can he do a 12 foot boat with a 10 horsepower and over? 14.5 with a 15. I'm supposed to remember that from six hours ago on the first. Oh, it's. It'll blow you away, that thing. Paul, there thanks you for the call. You got it. Bye-bye. <laughs> thanks for the chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if they're going to turn a license test into something like that, no, I'm not interested. I don't know why. Why is the boating test like that? Maybe that's a question we need the answer to. That's That's crazy. You want to operate a boat. You Hey, we're going to rent a cottage. It has a boat. I'm trying 
to make sure that I'm doing it right. That's all that's doing. Paul sounds like he's just trying to do it right. The person who's going there for a weekend trying to do it right. Here's seven hours of your life taken away. I don't even know how long it would take to study for that thing. Let's take a break. We'll let you know what's still to come on London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. End of this month, the Fleetwood Country Cruise-In happens at the Plunkett Estate. We happen to have two sets of passes. We'll give them away right now. 519-643-2222, callers 3 and 4. Right now, we'll be off to the Fleetwood Country Cruise-In. 519-643-2222 if you want to win passes and head off to the Plunkett Estate later this month. Tony Orlando is going to be there. Uh, Gary Revere and the Raiders. Or Paul Revere and the Raiders. Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh, 519-643-2222, callers 3 and 4. Coming up, we are going to be talking with Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley, and uh, I feel he has a message to convey to us, something we need to do. We are also going to talk about backpacking around Canada, kind of, and Teresa Carrier will join us. One run kicks off tomorrow, the actual run, one run, where Teresa is going to run another 100 kilometers in the same day, raising money for cancer research. That comes up on June 14th. News comes up in seconds. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Yesterday, I threw it out on Twitter. We were just throwing around an idea, and I asked on the air, and I threw it out on Facebook, asking whether or not you could do a vacation of a family of four for six days. This is not a backpacking vacation, but with backpacks. That's what you would put your luggage in. And I mean, the answer is, of course. But I mean, could you be comfortable? Is this a good idea? And here's why I ask. We want to go somewhere, but we don't want to say, yeah, we're going to stay here and we're going to do things here and that's it. We, I don't know. Our family's not like that. We don't like to limit ourselves. What if it sucks? What if I want to go somewhere else? You don't want to sit and say, like, it's not, we're not going to a resort then you pick out a resort, you do resort things, you're expecting to be resort people, and you have a resort good time. But this would be going places. So if we were tired of a place, if there was nothing to do there, we could just pick up and go. But I'm wondering, can you do it in just backpacks? That's it. There's not a lot of space. And thank you for all of the feedback, some saying, yikes. Some saying, yeah, we've done this. So I'm pretty confident we can actually get this done based on a lot of the reaction that has come in. But then, but then, I ran into our good buddy Weaver, who you can hear on Country 104 every afternoon. And Weaver brought up something that had happened to him. Uh, So Weaver has been nice enough to join us now to talk about what his experience was like. Weaver, that experience makes it seem like it's a good idea if you're going to do a trip like this to keep things above the U.S. border, right? 
might face is they might think you're a drug smuggler, Mike, or something <laughs> along those lines. So I've had the experience before of traveling with a backpack. So it was about four or five years ago. Uh, my family was going on a trip to Florida, and through my mother's company, they can rent a home down there where we all stay, laundry on site, all that kind of stuff. So they had it gone a couple days earlier than myself. My job was to fly out midweek to meet them. Well, we've got laundry on site. I'm only going to Florida for four or five days at best. What do I need? I'm a, I'm a guy. I, I appreciate some men travel heavy, but I need, what, five T-shirts, three pairs of shorts, and some undies, and I can probably <laughs> wash whatever I need while I'm down there. So that's all I'm traveling with. I really don't need much. Food, all that kind of stuff is taken care of there. So I'm traveling with just this backpack, and I get to U.S. Customs, and where are you going? Well, Florida, I'm staying at this house. Okay, where's the house? You know, you got to figure out, tell them where the address is. And why are you traveling so light, sir? And I could tell based on the way he said it that he's he really wants to know why I'm traveling so light. I tell you what, I ended up in different rooms every time because they couldn't figure out why I only needed a couple t-shirts and shorts. No way. Yeah. You actually had to go into rooms Yeah, over I this? had to go into separate rooms. I will uh, tell you, and you know, I didn't hear any plastic gloves getting put on or anything Ooh. like that, but it was nerve-wracking to say the least because, as we know, border officials, they're trained to intimidate. So you're in this little room. You just got a backpack. I don't know. I thought I was being smart. I didn't have to put anything in the overhead compartment. <laughs> you were listening for the plastic gloves. I was waiting for the like, plastic yeah, gloves. Yeah, yeah, they did it both uh, going into the States and then leaving uh, the States on the American customs side. And then by the time I was back into Canada, they thought, oh, whatever, he's already here, right? So we're stuck with him again. But it was it was a little nerve wracking there. So while, while I commend you for traveling light, I, I would suggest to be careful. Above the 49th parallel. Yeah, okay. pretty much, yeah. <laughs> this trip is shaping up. Weaver, thank you. Thank you so much. Weaver from Country 104. We're going to take a break. Up next, we will talk with Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley about something that I, I really feel is going to be a message from him for all of us when we look at some of the latest moves by the Ontario government in cutting and combining and creating super agencies and things like that. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Lumco. What is that, a steel manufacturing plant? Lumco. And Mario and Luigi have to pick up one of those? Nope. It is the large urban mayor's caucus of Ontario. And it's chaired right now by Guelph Mayor Cam Guthrie. And you can do a lot of reading at globalnews.ca about some of their concerns. Displeasure about the cap on the Ontario gas tax. We have other concerns about the implementation of changes for municipalities what has been called downloading by stealth. These are legitimate things. So where exactly do we sit? What exactly do we play as a role? Because we've heard municipalities are going to be looking after a lot more. The Ontario government, as we talked yesterday to begin London Live, is looking to cut. And really, I don't have a problem with that because we've got to do something. The last couple of liberal governments... They went in the wrong direction. They tried to do what? I mean, what is, the, what is Dalton McGinty's legacy? That he tried to be the green premier? He failed. We've got a lot of things that didn't work out. We've got a lot of money that was spent. We've got a lot of debt right now. So what do we need to do here? What do we need to know? 
Joining us is somebody who has been a mayor for a long, long time in the city of Sarnia. And he often looks at situations and then just says it how he sees it. And you always have to appreciate that. Please welcome to London Live, Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley. Mayor Bradley, thanks for being with us. Not sure how many phone calls mayors of big cities in this province are exchanging at night. Doubtful it's zero. How do you sum up how this latest announcement from the province has gone over? Well, not well. Uh, 38 mayors just the other day of larger cities than Sarnia came out very clearly, uh, all different political stripes, saying that uh, the direction of the government is wrong in a number of areas. We're particularly concerned with health units, uh, policing, uh, paramedics, EMS. Uh, there appears to be this movement or uh, direction by the Ford government to move to mega organizations. And I know from my own experience, particularly uh, with the uh, local health integration networks, mega school boards, it doesn't work. Now, that mega element, what is the biggest challenge with mega? Because we've seen so much mega where you've got people who will run companies that exist across the country out of one hub, whether it's Calgary or Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal, happens in the private sector. If we look from your perspective, when it gets to be mega, what's the big issue? Well, you lose local input, you lose local accountability, and I'll use the health units, and London has a very active and very dynamic uh, health unit, so does Cernia. And when we're dealing with issues like the opiate crisis or addictions of other sorts and uh, even vaccination issues, we can move quickly on the ground. We can direct resources because we're galvanized locally with uh, the, our population to deal with immediate crises. That doesn't happen. And even when you go to the big company model, we have a lot of big companies that have consolidated out of this place across the country, and they struggle with uh, being reactive in a timely manner to immediate issues. So would it be one of those cases where a mega outfit can work well until the day that it doesn't, being that the day that you actually need to react to something, if nothing much is going on, hey, no problem, we can have all the paperwork done in one place, everything done in one place, and then all of a sudden something out of the ordinary happens, and whoops. Well, Mike, uh, that's a good point, and I'll use the most vivid and most painful one I can, which is the opiate uh, crisis. Uh, Sarnia, like other communities, has been suffering big time. Uh, asked the province several years ago to declare it a crisis and put resources to it. Uh, they haven't declared it a crisis. So what we've done at the local level is brought the community together. It's police and healthcare workers, mental health, citizens who have lost loved ones to addictions, and we are putting together strategies. We're not going to... Uh, solve the problem, but we can mitigate it because we can act uh, quickly. Another good example is on disability issues and disability employment. We can do things at the grassroots levels. It takes years for the province to come up with policies and programs. But in this case, what they're doing is they're gutting some of the most effective services that uh, health units and, and other agencies deliver uh, to, uh, to our communities. Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley joining us as we talk about some major concern among big city mayors. They have already called on the provincial government to postpone cuts that have been asked for. We've heard the term downloading by stealth. Everybody remembers downloading from a government gone by, but now downloading by stealth. Is that something that you see? 
Oh, yes. I'd like to take some credit for inventing that phrase. And that came from the Mike Harris era. And, you know, quite honestly, uh, my experience going through that era is uh, a lot of the issues that um, the public just says, well, there's a bunch of politicians whining about something. We're still going to get the service. Uh, we're going to save some money. Well, the reality is you're not in the long term, and you're also going to damage those service deliveries. So that's what's happening here. Uh, by piling on regulations or trying to do other things, it comes back on the local taxpayer. And, you know, we have so little room to maneuver. We've got property taxes, and we have some other fairly limited revenue sources. We don't have that whole list of things the province can do or the federal government to raise revenue. So, you know, I, I know back uh, in, the, in the, when we went through the Harris era, uh, I was a vice president of the Association of Municipalities of Ontario. I ended up leaving the organization because they rolled over, and I'm scared this time around they're going to do the same thing. We need to stand up. We need to take a very clear position on certain uh, transfers or services to say, we're not doing that. That's your responsibility. There's one that's just popped up here lately. They're trying to uh, transfer the investigation of animal cruelty investigations to the local level. Well, we're not equipped to do that as a police service. We're not equipped to do that financially. But it's another example of the province just trying to pass things off. And in some cases, I just don't think they care if anything happens. It's going to be our problem, not theirs. How much power do you feel you can have to say no? Well, my view, Mike, is that uh, what a power that a mayor has when it's all said and done. I like to joke here that I'm the mayor at 9 o'clock, I'm the MPP at 10, and the MP at 11. We have the power of our pulpit that we have the ability to motivate our citizens if we have a good case to make. And that's why I've focused on the health issue side this time around, because that resonates with everyone as it relates to what they want for their community, for their own protection of their health, and to deal with some of the issues that health units deal with. So all we can do is is make it difficult for the government politically, and uh, they have to remember, you know, they've got a fairly fragile mandate in the sense that um, they've got to be renewed in three years, and if the communities are suffering, uh, we went through all the issues with Walkerton and other cuts, the housing shift that is still devastating us from the Harris era is that uh, we need to keep the heat on them. And they have backed off to their credit on a couple of issues. Look at autism. Look at a couple of other things. They backed back off because the pressure from the public and the politicians was too much, and they realized they'd made a mistake. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that if you've realized you made a mistake. I often say here that uh, when I'm riding a dead horse, I should dismount and go. Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley joining us. Mayor Bradley, just one last thing, and that is the idea that we've seen it with dollar beer when that became a headline. We're seeing it with raising the speed limit in the province where you don't necessarily hear a lot of buzz, and then all of a sudden, boom, here's this thing, and this downloading by stealth seemed to be one of those things, at least to the public. When we look at it from your perspective, when budgets are already made, and then you're told, yeah, 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 but this this has to change. Is is that something you've ever seen before? Well, it, again, I keep on hating to refer back to the Harris era. That was their tactic. And what this government's very good, same as they were, they bring forward what I call the distraction issues, the talk show issues, that, uh, like the, you know, the dollar beer or drinking in parks or other issues that are distraction issues, the license plate uh, the direction they were headed in. So those things will get people chattering because it's something people can relate to. Talk about stealth downloading. You talk about uh, jurisdictions and that. It's a tough sell. It's a tough sell, and it will be a tough sell for people like myself and other municipal politicians to try to get our point across to uh, the public and then turn put the pressure on Queen's Park. But if we want it stopped, we've got to get our heads around it and we've got to get interested in it fast. Otherwise, like you say, we could see somebody just putting it in. That's my biggest fear, that time is uh, the issue, and we need to move quickly to galvanize the public to to support uh, uh, stopping some of these changes. Not all of them, but stopping some of them. Mayor Bradley, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Mike. Sarnia Mayor.
Mike Bradley. All right, a lot of interesting things to look at. And I think we proved one of those earlier on London Live. We just dealt with a distraction issue. Is that what that was? Is that why they bring out, hey, we're going to increase speed limits to 120 kilometers an hour? We talked about that for 35 minutes. We had a lot of great points. That's a really sexy issue, isn't it? That's one of those ones. When Dollar Beer came out, what did we do? We talked about it right here on London Live. We got thoughts about it. We talked to breweries and brewmasters. We eventually looked at what this actually meant and then got reaction on that. We spent a lot of good time having a lot of good conversation about that. It's another sexy issue. You know what this is? You know what those are? They're the Kardashians. They are. You can't explain why people enjoy following the Kardashians. These are not people that are changing the world. These are people that you would not want your children to emulate at all, other than being horrifically wealthy. If your children can be that wealthy, well, that's great. But other than that, they're not really setting the stage for how to be a human. Kim Kardashian on the weekend, it's Kim that's not really having the baby because she has it by surrogate, right? She's talking about how stressed out she is because the baby's about to come. You're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. But those are Kardashian kind of things. We can't explain why people are interested in that. The royal baby that may have already been born. What's her head from Suits who married the guy, Harry? Prince Harry. I guess I have to say Prince, don't I? Prince Harry. I don't mean to, you know, don't mean to mock the monarchy. That's not what I'm doing, although I'm not a big fan of the monarchy. When we look at them, how, how do we explain why people are interested in following them? We don't know. But they're things that interest us, like buck a beer, like changing the slogan on a license plate, and like 120 kilometers an hour on the 400 series highway. But Mayor Bradley is exactly right when you all of a sudden start talking jurisdiction. I don't know how many things I say during the course of the show that make you go, I'm not listening to this guy anymore. But if I started out a show by saying, today, jurisdiction. We are going to examine jurisdictions around the province within municipalities. We are going to look at jurisdiction as a noun. We're going to, you would be, what is this guy talking about? We are going to look at how we should be plying the trades of vice presidents and people who report to this person and that person and administration, administration, administration. Yes, two full hours of administration talk on London. You would be out the door. You would turn that off. I would. But that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here that does matter. That's the kind of stuff that Mayor Bradley is saying we've got to get stirred up about. Administration. There are people who love administration. I admire them. Because you know what? They help to make the world go round. I, for one, am not one of those people. I don't care. That's not interesting. But that's the kind of stuff that is mattering now as the Ford government maps out how this province is going to work. And the issue lies in the fact that if we allow them to just come in and say, okay, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here, ha, new jurisdiction, hmm, renewed administration, that 
when things get bad, that when we are talking about services for whether it be overdose prevention or whether it be anything else under the healthcare umbrella, that we wind up having big problems that we'll all get excited about. We will all go, this is wrong. If I, if I started off a show saying, guess what? We have had 25 opioid deaths in the last seven days. You might say, that's awful. We've got to talk about this. Where is this coming from? You know where we're going to trace it back to? The downloading by stealth that has been identified by big city mayors, that's their catchphrase for it, and the fact that we didn't speak up and get excited about it at the time because they brought in, here's what it's going to be, and we didn't say anything. Mayor Bradley pointed to the last time the Harris government did this that anyone who could have said something rolled over, let them do it, and we ran into some issues. And those issues, unfortunately, wind up in our streets and in our backyards. But we're not going to get excited about jurisdiction and administration. We're going to get excited about the number of deaths. Or we're going to get excited about not having enough nurses. Or we're going to get excited about our kids being taught by a screen at the front of the room. Yes, well, one of every 17 classes that you take in high school is going to be taught remotely. Who knows if that's coming? That's the kind of stuff we got to watch out for. That's the kind of stuff that will excite us. But by the time we get excited, you know what it's going to be? Too late. Bob, how do you feel about this? Yeah, my quick, yeah, just a quick comment. Hey, you know what? I'm excited about administration and jurisdiction. You know, okay. You see, that, that's <laughs> the problem here, right? We got to start talking about the deep issues on how government runs and educate people and, and, and kind of maybe direct them down that path to start learning about it because when we do that then we can keep all these people in check and they, and they can't you know they can't con us anymore right and if we know how things work with politicians and what they're up to and the nitty-gritty of it all then you can you know point blankly you know stare them in the face and ask them a legitimate questions that they're going to be forced to answer so instead of watching you know like the kardashians see that's what society does right uh, TV and, and and a lot of a lot of talk radio. Not your show, of course, but a lot a lot no a lot of talk radio. They dumb you down, and that's what they like. They like to dumb down the population, feed them a bunch of you know Scooby snacks so they go running after like a school of fish, and then you know there you go. You you're wasting three hours talking about nothing and nothing gets resolved or nobody nobody learns anything. But when you when you put it out there that people have to pay attention. And force them to learn something. And they'll be the smarter for it. And then they won't so much be complaining about how they're getting screwed over by government officials all the time. They'll actually be able to challenge them legitimately. And when that starts getting you know, into the majority of society, then those people know that they can't con you anymore. And they have to come clean on things and answer your questions point blank and up front. So that's all, you know, that's all I wanted to say. Bob, I love the thought on that. Thank you for the call. All right, hey, All right. Start, start doing it on your show, Mike. I'll call it takes once a week or twice a week. Take some of those what we all think of as boring or 
you know, and, 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 and force that on us. Okay. And, and then we'll get into it and we'll start the ball rolling on Okay, it. we'll start small doses. I That's promise right. next week we'll, we'll, if I can find someone who is an administration expert or a jurisdiction expert, or maybe we just need some more political pundits, I'm not sure. We'll, but we'll start small and we'll see what we can do. Well, let's, like, let's just peel back the onion layers here, get down... <laughs> To, to these people and how you know and, and how they manipulate us and then once you learn the game then you can hold them accountable bob have a great afternoon all right too much bye-bye we'll take a break news is next still to come Teresa carrier in studio about to run 100 kilometers yet again what do you mean again 100 well wait a minute i've been running for 17 years of my life i have run 100 kilometers she's gonna do it in a day again This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. There's a very interesting thing happening right now. 200 of the top players in the game of hockey in the women's hockey world have decided we're not going to play professionally in North America next year. They have all come together. We're talking the best players we're talking Shannon Sabatos, goaltender for Canada. Marie-Philippe Poulain, one of the best players Canada has ever produced. Hillary Knight, arguably the best American-born female player right now. Kendall Coyne Schofield, who you might remember from the fastest skater competition in the NHL All-Star Game. All of them are in on this saying, hey, we need better. You look back at some history on this, you go back to the reported demise and then the ultimate demise of the Canadian Women's Hockey League just a short time. Happened starting in late March, we started hearing about this, just a short time after London's own Caitlin Gosling and the Calgary Inferno had won the Canadian Women's Hockey League championship. And that left the North, or sorry, the National Women's Hockey League playing out of the United States. All along, everyone playing professionally in women's hockey has known that you need one league, that two leagues were not going to work. And they all know that playing for somewhere between $2,000 and $10,000 a year with no health benefits, that's not going to work. This is not viable. So what they've elected to do is get together and say, we deserve better. And you know what? They're absolutely right. They do deserve better. And better is coming. Better is happening. But here's my concern for what they're doing. Because I don't, I don't know that this is the right move. Better is coming and better is happening. The women's game has never been in better shape. Finland has really become a world power. Had it not been for a little refereeing controversy, we would be talking about Finland being world champions in women's hockey right now. They won a game in overtime. The goal ended up being called back. There was a strange review. It was a mess. But they celebrated a championship. I wish it was theirs. The United States ultimately won that game in a shootout. But we could be talking about that. A third world power. We've had basically Canada versus the United States forever. Now you introduce Finland. Watch out for Japan. Russia, Sweden, they still have strong programs as well, and they're growing. So internationally, it's never been better. Here's the issue with what's happening. You can't request better. It has to happen over time. 
We are looking at pioneers of the women's game. We just had a game held this past year that brought a sellout crowd to Budweiser Gardens. 9,000 people. We have athletes now who have become role models for young female hockey players. We have such tremendous programs in this area. From the London Devilettes to Blue Water and the Hawks, we have great female hockey programs. But this doesn't happen overnight. And you can't stand back and say, we want this. You're already creating it. It takes time. The WNBA has been in existence for 20 years. It has had the partnership of the NBA. It still is in a phase where it's struggling for fans, where it's struggling for promotion. All of this happens slowly. But if you take away the best players, if you stop them from playing, you're not showcasing what you've built, what you've created. That's my biggest fear, that they are pulling their greatest strength off the table. And I hope they don't go through with that. Because you can't request something like this. You can't say, I want to have a league like the NFL. I want to have a league like the NHL. We saw the AF, the Alliance of American Football, try to say, I want to have a professional football league. It didn't work. You can't do it. It has to grow organically. And it's happening right now in women's hockey. I don't want to see them hurt it. We'll take a break. Up next, Teresa Carrier will join us in studio to talk about one run. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Mark down June 14th, please, on your calendar, because you have an opportunity to be a part of something incredible. It's happened a few times. It has happened because Teresa Carrier and her team have had the courage to make it happen. Teresa is a breast cancer survivor. She chose to do something about that after she beat cancer. She's smiling right now. She chose to run 100 kilometers in a day and did it. And then she chose to do it again. And then she chose to do it again. And this has grown into an amazing event. We have seen high schools get involved. And this year, well, Teresa, after a couple of years of of not running the 100Ks, has decided to, yes, do it again. And that's going to happen on June 14th. But high schools begin to get involved with one run starting tomorrow. Teresa Carrier joins us in studio. Teresa, June 14th sounds like it's a long way off, but how far away does it feel for you? Just around the corner, unfortunately. (laughs) I know with the weather, it doesn't seem like June is around the corner, but... My gosh, it's just a few weeks away. Well, we're saving up the good weather for the run. Okay. That's important. So let's go back to how the run is working this year, because as we said before we even began the interview, you have done one runs that have gone from London to Sarnia, that have gone from Sarnia to London. How is it working this year? Well, this year I'll be leaving and coming home. So we leave from... uh, Good Life head office on Oxford and Wonderland at 6.30 in the morning on June the 14th. And we'll make our way out into uh, the Strathroy community who has, they've been tremendously supportive. And then I'll head back home and finish off at St. Andre Bissette. And when we add up all the kilometers that you'll be doing out to Strathroy and back home, we're getting to what? 100. You're doing another 100. Another 100. Yeah. Mm. 
Now, at the same time, we've got opportunities for people to kind of do this run with you. Now, wait, wait, wait. This is not, you're not being asked to do all 100 kilometers. Teresa will take care of that. But how does that work for people who might want to be part of the run? Well, I'm glad you pointed it out because when we ask people to join us en route, they're afraid they have to run 100 kilometers, (laughs) but they don't. So you're right. What we do is we designate each kilometer en route. So we will be joined by 100 runners. And they dedicate that kilometer to somebody that they feel needs their support. And, um, yeah, so I'll see 100 different runners along route with me. Now, we're saving the last 80 for the students that are involved in one run. and uh, But there's certainly some kilometers along the way that are free. Okay. And if somebody wanted to get involved, is it as easy as going to onerun.ca? Absolutely. And it'll... You just click on 100-kilometer run info and register to run a kilometer. Okay. And then would you just kind of meet the run at that particular spot? Is that the idea? Yes. So our route will be on our website, so they'll know exactly where they have to go. And we'll have an information night so that the runners know exactly where they need to be and what they can expect. What if you wanted to run a little bit more than one? Could you? Well, we're trying to get as many people involved as we can, so we are limiting it to (laughs) one. Yeah. And people might be thinking, okay, well... I, I know someone who has gone through breast cancer, um, but I, I don't know them that well. Maybe they don't have a mom or a sister or a wife or a daughter. Is that a prerequisite or no. is it, hey, you don't have to have that connection? Not at all. I think even when you come out to the schools and see their event, some of the kids don't have that connection, but they know that they should be doing something to help others. And so if you just have... Uh, the compassion to support those that are dealing with cancer, you are certainly welcome to join us. Teresa Carrier joining us in studio, getting set for another one run. When you did this the first time, and I always love asking you about this, when you did this the first time, how how big a challenge did it feel then when you didn't even know what running 100 kilometers in a day, because that's what this is, what running 100 kilometers in a day was like? It was terrifying. I, I won't lie. I didn't know what to expect, but As you know, the One Run team is so strong that I knew that my team was there for me and they would make sure everything would happen as we had planned. It it was a little rough, especially around the 70-kilometer, 80-kilometer mark when things get a little tricky. But uh, you know what? We have a lot of supporters. And if that's the worst of the challenges I have to meet in my lifetime, then I'm very grateful. What is the trickiest about the 70th and 80th? Um, well, I'm getting a little tired by that point. <laughs> and um, it's emotional, especially when you have runners running with you, because while they run, they often will share their stories. And uh, to know how many people are affected by cancer is overwhelming. And to just see the strength that exists with so many people that are going through it, it's, it's pretty uh, impactful. Wow. And then when you get to that finish line, you still remember the first finish line you reached? I sure do. Very clearly, it was uh, it finished with a, a little incline. So I had a little hill to run, <laughs> which I guess we overlooked in our planning. And uh, I was holding hands with my family, and I just asked them to carry me to, to the end. In the last uh, 400 meters, they just, I, my feet, I don't even think touched the ground. But we got there. Teresa Carrier in studio with us as we talk about one run that is happening again. We're going to talk about what is happening starting tomorrow, as a matter of fact, but we're talking about a 100-kilometer run that you can be involved in. You don't necessarily even have to run if you don't want to. You can certainly support. You can come out and cheer. Go to onerun.ca and you can find all kinds of great information.
to do it one time would have been, hey, that's that challenge is done. You've done something that hardly anyone on this earth has been able to do. What took you back to do it again? Well, um, that's a question I've had to tell my mom and answer to my mom because uh, she wasn't happy about (laughs) another 100 kilometers at my age. But I think for me, the driving force was the students that we have been working with over the last few years. We show them amazing photos of the run. We show them videos and there's amazing footage. But I want them to experience what I experienced, the fact that our community comes together and complete strangers will be on the side of the road cheering you on. I just wanted the kids to feel the impact of one run like I have and that my team has. And uh, I want them to see it for themselves. You get to talk to students after because students have been involved for years. What do they say to you? Um, you know what? Oftentimes they, they thank us for the opportunity for doing something Uh So that will um, create a change in the the community. I think that's the first thing. Um, And they say, what can I do to help? And can I be more involved? So we have a lot of kids coming up to us saying, I want to do more. And for for me as a mom, it's just great to see our youth trying to do something that uh, will affect others. When we look ahead to tomorrow... Students start to become involved tomorrow. What will be happening? Well, we start off at Westminster. Westminster is the first of 12 schools involved in London and area that uh, in teams of 10, they run their own 100 kilometers. And Westminster, this is their third year of hosting. And there'll be over 800 kids involved in that. They even have community uh, supporters. The RCMP has put in a team. So uh, they have a lot of energy and we can't wait to get started tomorrow. So basically they take all of those students and they run enough, usually around the track? Correct. And eventually that totals 100 kilometers? Yes. So they start at about (laughs) 9 o'clock in the morning and finish around 1. And if they focus, they can actually get it done. And we have a lot of activities throughout the day. The kids are constantly moving it's the the spirit that we feel. It's it's pretty incredible, and I invite anybody who's in the Westminster area to come by and check out these kids and see what they're doing. So a hundred kilometers, and you've got eight hundred students who are taking part. What does that mean to you to know that it's it's not just a group of twenty kids who have mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, we're going to do this," and they do it, but. 800 kids, that's almost the entire school. Well, you know, we, we have a driving force in each of those schools, teachers and school committees actually encourage kids to get out. Last year, Westminster won our All for One trophy, which is the highest percentage of students participating, and they had over 85% of their students involved. So kudos to Westminster, and I know there's going to be other schools that will be challenging that number. Well, they will start to do their one runs, 100 kilometers tomorrow, and that will continue almost right up till June 14th when one run takes place. Uh, People who don't know what you do to train will probably be wondering, how do you get ready for a 100-kilometer run. Uh, what is a typical training? I, I don't want you to have to take us through the entire week, but if you could boil down maybe one of your typical days during the week, what would it be? Well, um, this is heavy training time. So uh, the weekends normally involve 
a 50 kilometers on Saturday and a 20 or 30 kilometer on Sunday. So a lot of back-to-back long runs. I won't be training 100 kilometers uh, at all. So we'll leave that surprise for June 14th. But that's basically, it's really heavy training right now. Wow. Because normally if you're going to run, and I'm going to reduce it here to a a 5K or a 10K, they'll say, well, if you can run a little bit more, do a longer run, run past what you're going to be running in the race or whatever it is that you're going to do, then, you know, that's just part of your training. You don't go out and run 275. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Teresa, the courage is amazing. Your story is so great. And what you have done with this event is out of this world. So thank you again for for everything. And the money raised continues to be big. Thank you. We're very proud of our team and, and certainly the effort of the community. June 14th. And you will be leaving from where again? Uh, Good Life Head Office. They're our title sponsor at Wonderland and Oxford Okay, at 6.30 a.m. So everyone's welcome to uh, come and have a cup of coffee and see us off. And then we finish off at St. Andre Bissette where there will be a huge celebration. Outstanding. Look forward to it. Teresa, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Teresa Carrier in studio here at our Chorus Radio London studios at Wellington and King under the sunshine. We'll take a break and close out the show next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Tomorrow on London Live, Chantal Kreviazic and Rain Maida are expected to be in studio. We are also going to talk about Apple getting into the credit card game what you can and can't do on a campsite in this province. Don't forget, Drive to Play Ball comes up this Saturday. I will see you at Labatt Park anytime between 10 and 2. And we're asking you to bring along any used, if you want to go out and buy new, you can, but any used baseball equipment. This will go to kids who don't have their own baseball equipment, but have been playing baseball for a while. And we'll have details on that again tomorrow in case you don't know all of the ins and outs of Drive to Play Ball. A couple of things before we close up the show. Some sad news first reported by John Mattis, who used to work here in London. Red Kelly has passed away and has passed away at the age of 91. Legendary National Hockey Leaguer. And while we're on a hockey-related vein... The Vegas Golden Knights have named Kelly McCrimmon their general manager, which means George McPhee, who has been their GM, who built the team, is not leaving. He's going to continue to be responsible for all their hockey operations decision and the hockey operations staff. Call this, keep Kelly McCrimmon away from Seattle. Seattle has an NHL team coming. He would have been a key guy to run it. Nope, they've made him GM. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln, 684 Warncliffe Road South. Matt Trevithick is next with news. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.